0: Welcome to the Liberation Lab podcast, insights and interviews for the disruptive educator. I am honored to have my guest. I'm going to let him introduce himself. So why don't you tell the people who you are, what you do, and why you do it?
1: Man, listen, it is so interesting being on the other side of uh, opening up a podcast because that's exactly how um, I do it. So brother, I appreciate being on. Um, I'm Jason B. Allen. This is my 19th year in education. Uh, I come from a family of educators, Uh was able to connect and celebrate family uh, educators that go back as far as 1865, where we could trace our mm. ancestors and our land and our freedom. Um, so my ancestors and I, we've been in the game for a minute. Um, I have my own small business, or company called educational entities where I'm helping people to tell their stories through podcasting, um, blogging, and also, you know, writing your story through a book, uh, Do a lot of my life work through Lily's Foundation, which supports grandparents raising school aged children, uh, named in honor of my great grandmothers, uh, maternal and paternal, both who raised my parents. uh, And that's our way of continuing their legacy and giving back. Uh, But I'm also the national organizing director for the National Parents Union. Uh, I'm excited about that because I was a school administrator in Atlanta working around family and community engagement. So, really being able to be. Uh, back in the space after running for school board and um, helping to build educational programs and schools and really uh, helping more parents to get wins for our students. Uh, So that's a little bit about where I am, what I'm doing, and uh, who I am.
0: That's awesome, the The layers there of experience on multiple levels, I'm sure, give you a a lens for our conversation, which we're going to get into in just a minute. I would love to start here. If you, if we were doing the montage, you know, like when you look at Disney, they always play the song and the person kind of grows up and matriculates through the song. If we, if we were playing the montage of just your journey in education, young Jason, what are some of the things that we would see along your journey that have kind of shaped you uh, into the work that you're doing now?
1: Man, I would say you would see young Jason in fifth grade um, as a class leader challenging my classmates. Okay, yeah, let's go to Six Flags and have a class trip, but let's also do a community cleanup day. And so mm-hmm. uh, my kindergarten, not my kindergarten, my fifth grade teacher, Miss Edwards, she just retired this past school year, and she was telling the students that this was my student. He just ran for school board. But when you guys get ready to leave here, you have to do your community service project. That was something that he started uh, in 1993. So I think that from fifth grade to eighth grade to 12th grade to um, the University of West Georgia, where I helped to found the NAACP and uh, I became the second African-American and person of color to be the student body president to really help change how we were spending monies, how we were influencing um, the diversity in the faculty and staff. Uh, we worked with the city of Carrollton on issuing an apology uh, mm-hmm. to the county and the community because the school was founded on um, a slave burial ground. It yeah. took us to get there in order for um, that to happen. But if, if I go back to my, my young self, and is what I've been able to do throughout the years in education, starting a uh, male mentoring group to help black brothers matriculate through college, get good jobs, take care of their families, build communities. That's Black Male with Initiatives, which leads to my work with Speak Black Man today and helping me shape my book series and what I've continued to do to help advocate for uh, black males But also Mm. looking at what I've done in education and helping shape school programs and how are we really educating children and thinking outside of the box, creating the educators voice blog so that teachers who really see how the system is destroying black children can have Mm. a safe space uh, with the alias to say, hey, here's my experience. I'm ringing the alarm so we can really help uh, children, but also creating the students for equity group with my students who are labeled as disabled and you know they have double hearing aids or adhd or autism or uh, they're gifted and talented in areas that people aren't testing them for really not even looking that at part. and so we yeah. opened up a door for them to be able to have a podcast and when you go to my website and you see oh this is a students for equity group and these are students talking about flying cars and uh, how they would like to see schools reimagine discipline policies and create non-suspension schools. Like these are middle school students because I'm a, I was also a middle school teacher. So yeah. really changing, you know, what I would say to finalize that question is seeing myself do things in different spaces, yet it still be the same. I'm still going to show up to advocate for the underdog, to work yeah. for the person that people will count out and say, "Oh yeah." We 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 ain't we're not expecting anything of them. We don't want them to have this opportunity. We don't value them enough to see them as being anything other than a servant to us or enslaved to us. And so, um, Mm. it's liberation work. It's abolitionist teaching work, Uh, and that's what I would say that I've done since I've been a kid.
0: The first of all, thank you. Right, I, you know, even in the midst of all the things like I want to make sure we pause to just recognize because I don't think we give ourselves our flowers enough and people, we don't give each other our flowers enough. So I want to, I want to pause here and just say, brother, thank you for that work the lives that you were touching. Uh, Because in liberatory work, like, you know, as you know, sometimes it gets lonely. You feel like you're doing so much or you're, 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 you're trying to to make changes and then things happen that can, can make you feel discouraged and, and whatnot. So, so seeing you and, and witnessing the work that you're doing only encourages folks like myself to keep going. So I just want to honor your work and say thank you here, even now. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, Lord, calling me in the middle of the podcast. I'm gonna edit that out. Uh so the, the the I wanted to to flip here and ask you, right? So you are talking about. A legacy. Uh, this, is, this is what I'm hearing. A legacy of liberation that has started from you, you can trace it back. What For somebody who who can look at and say, yeah, I want to go to the, the six flags, but I also want to serve. How how did you come up with like how what are the, the, the influences, I guess I would say, that helped you adopt that mindset early?
1: So, um, you know, I call it the legacy wall that's behind me. Um, It really goes all around my office uh, where I have pictures from artists that I've met when I worked at an art gallery, one of the first uh, black women to own an art gallery in the Southeast region uh, that was here in Atlanta, uh, meeting uh, phenomenal artists where I was able to get their art, uh, family members who are artists such as my uh, beloved and late aunt, Dr. Paulette Fleming, who um, was the first black art professor at Fresno State University, but she was also mm-hmm. a Delta. to help design schools and educational programs. And uh, the educators in my family who were abolitionist teachers, and they were a part of the liberation movements and uh, they were black Panthers. Uh, they were mm-hmm. scientists, they were creators. Uh, but I also attribute a lot of it to my Great grandparents who raised my mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandma Lily on my father's side lived to be almost 105. And uh, she had a third grade education. Her wow. father, Lewis Allen, uh, was a descendant of slaves. He actually gained his freedom uh, and was able to buy his family and, you know, locate to an area of. Uh, North Carolina, Wake County, North Carolina, which had become a safe haven for uh, black people.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: uh, her stories and, you know, how she did things, she was a pillar of her community. Um, A lot of the things that we do through our foundation are programs that continue their life work. My mother's grandparents adopted her, raised her. They put both of them through college. And so understanding the sacrifices that grandparents and families make to help someone get to the next level of excellence for for them. Uh, But these were also um, they did a lot of outreach with the community. They were always the prayer warriors. And um, what my father would say is they were hospice care before. We were calling it hospice. They were the people mm-hmm. in the community who would be there to care for those who were sick, who needed things, who needed food. Uh, they were the caregivers, and so a lot of those stories passed down from my great grandfather's time in the war and how it was to be the first, you know, black unit and first black soldiers and what that felt like to serve and come back to uh, America and you know, to live through that and how it really shook their foundation spiritually, mentally, uh, what it did for them. And so sharing the stories of, you know, why you should study abroad, uh, you know, Mm. the importance of taking care of family and building a legacy. Uh, My great-grandfather passed away when I was 10 years old, but a lot of the way that I teach, um, a lot of the ways that I'm, you know, serving the community is from what I saw him do, and from those stories from childhood uh, yeah. that he would speak to me. So I wanted to take time to speak to the legacy of my family and how um, our ancestors were intentional about passing down the art of storytelling, which is what my yes. business does uh, yes. in, a, in a sense. My father created the foundation. He also created our family business, which is a printing company. Then in essence, we're helping people tell their story. Um, so we're all storytellers, and I feel like yeah. that's what our family on both sides have done—is to, you know, build communities through the art of storytelling. And so that's mm-hmm. how I honor my ancestors by um, taking what they gave us to use um, and continuing the work.
0: So I I love that. I think you know it reminds me that we stand on the shoulders of giants mm-hmm. as we carry on this legacy, as we as we continue the fight, and that. Um, you know, as I think about, you know, our our, you know, conversation here, I think you have a lot of lanes and experiences that help guide the conversation. And so I want to queue up the question and then I want you to kind of I want you to answer from a in the work that you do in that student-centered perspective first, and then we'll kind of broaden it from there. And my question is this. When it comes to the <clears throat> the future of black education, if we had to but, cause you said this earlier, and, and this is probably where a better place to start. You said that the educational sector is harming black kids. It is it is it the, the damage is I don't know, it's almost insidious. Um, could you talk to it talk to us a little bit about that for those who may be listening and are like, what do you mean when you say that, one? Yeah. And then two, if you had to begin the process of reimagining, what does it look like? How can oh, we make really, it tangible?
1: That's dope. Let me say this. Um, the system was not designed for us to succeed. We all know yes. that. We should know that. We may not want to acknowledge it every day, but it's a reality, it's not going away. Um now because some of us have made it. Um, whether we yes. are um very well educated, masters, specialists, doctoral degrees, um, you know all of that. I, I commend that. I'm not knocking that at all. However, yeah. we have to be honest because we're educated. Booker T. Yeah. Washington and the boys were going through the same debate. It's about the have and the have nights. Are we going to liberate? Or are we going to assimilate? And you got to choose you this day. Now, that's where the the gray area is. I'm just kind of neutral and we don't have enough people who know how to navigate that. Um, yeah. But the, also re- the reality is is that we need both. How do we build the middle to really sustain the extremes of if I assimilate, it kind of is the eradication of black culture as we know it. But if I liberate, we're still separated, but we can never come together to, you know, collaborate and and build and and work on things. Yeah. So, in regards to the system, it's harming our kids. Uh, There is a sector of kids that are targeted and used for the school to prison pipeline recently we were advocating and on the news here in georgia uh there's a young man um his name is zaire bird uh in short he has a 504 which is just being stated because in his advocacy for hey you know i'm athletic i'm in this program but i also have to go to classes that support the way that i learn and um I'm trying not to, you know, respond in a negative way. But these are high school students and they're like, hey, I'm just letting you know, coach, um, you know, this is an issue. You got to follow the chain of command, which is tell your teachers, blah, 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 blah. When you have students who have done this, you can't tell me that when kids run up on me and now I'm in harm's way that you expect me to stand here and let them. Physically harm me and jump mm-hmm. me to the point where now there are no adults present. No one is near. Kids are trying to go find help, but no adults seem to be where they're supposed to be at, right? Yep. yep. But we're punishing kids in what I call the Student Rico Act because if two or more students are in a fight, it's automatically assumed to be gang activity. Uh, mm. Here's what the school system said to a student that is an honor student in the magnet program. One of the top athletes, very engaged, never had an issue with discipline behavior at all. They made a statement after our press conference and said that, well, we have a zero policy um, against violence in our schools, especially when uh, it's an appearance that a weapon or gang activity has happened. And they painted this young brother as if he brought a weapon to school and as if he was in a gang when they know that that's not true. And mm-hmm. so I have to be realistic about dismantling the system, but also, you know, acknowledging that there are black people who are very well educated and, you know, have gone through all of the proper channels and are, you know, yeah. very upper echelon in their community that are damaging our black families and our children because these were also black administrators that were slamming the door that were disrespectful to this family that was simply wow, trying to add wow. this family. I am. And I'm also going to say this because people don't hear this. They weren't cussing out. They ain't have on no bonnets. They are, they are, they, these are community. This family gives back to the community. This is what's wow. wild. So this kid yeah. went through the process, everything they said do. And then when people say, well, Oh, we don't need to have charter schools and you know, the public education system is what's really working for us. Really? when they're criminalizing our children purposely and it's people like us that are getting the paycheck that is mm-hmm. like okay mm-hmm. well let me uphold this system so yep. it's tricky now the reimagined education part is very simple I have done a lot of work the last three years most recently with my students on researching what what the students want what mm-hmm. works let me even say this there are high school students that were like, Yeah, when we think about recess in high school, that's more like study hall. What if I do need to take a 30-minute nap? What if I have a job and I kind of worked overnight and I got off at 12 midnight and I'm on the team because I'm trying to get a scholarship and I may just really need to take a nap? Why don't we have a space to do that? Because in one breath, you tell me I'm a child, right? Then I'm a teenager. I need to stay in a child's place and do what a child does. But then you want me to be an adult. So the child in me needs to nap right? Because that's a part of self-care. So I'm mentioning that to say that getting information from students, students want to see school done differently. Year-round school is an option. What does that look like? When I talk to my students, we did a lot of research on how could it happen. It can happen if we have partnerships with cities, counties, and school districts and say, hey, kids are going to go to school during this certain period of time. But we know that we have a gang violence issue. We have an e-commerce issue. We have this issue. Why don't we have on the out season, every young person, this is a policy. This is a law. Every young person on the off season, they have to be involved in some type of program where they are in workforce development, they're in an internship, they're in a camp. What kind of camp are you in? It's in the arts camp. I don't care if the kids are beating, For the whole month and a half of that out that whatever camp that you have signed up for, and that's what your enrichment is because kids have also understood that we have a social problem. We don't even really know each other. I've seen you online for the last three years and we've been disconnected, and now we're supposed to date and we're supposed to bring kids together that have only seen violence or other things online. So, this is what they have said that they would want. Why could we not do that on the off season? So, then when we are in school, We get to learn different things. Students are also saying that they want home economics back in a different way. Mm. Why why are we not teaching kids? What does it take to even sustain a household? If you're talking about independent living for some kids that are 16, 17 years old, all of our students are not in the same place. It's not that time time has changed, but the issues have not. So we have kids that are being raised by kids. That is nothing new under the sun, y'all. But how are we preparing them? What are we preparing them to do? Yeah. When I got feedback from parents, parents are like, why are we not starting early education at pre-K instead of universal pre-K? Pre-K is just elementary school. Elementary is pre-K to second grade. I believe that children should not be in high stakes testing. We need to protect our kids. Pre-K to second grade. I don't know a parent who would not agree with that. Third through fifth grade. um, Is is a a time for kids to really kind of understand, like, okay, here is, you know, the basic foundation, critical years. But then you have the the next step of, okay, now we're integrating workforce development and real life skills because the coming of age time is important. That's where most of our kids get caught up in the school to prison pipeline. So reshaping education altogether and giving communities autonomy. Uh, I could go on and on about that, but that that's kind of like the surface area of what students and parents that I've worked with throughout the East region have said, this is what we would like to see. And there are people who are building this and doing it successfully.
0: The, the first thought that I had to your point is it's so interesting to hear the student responses to what they want. And then when you look at almost the history or trajectory of of what schools have traditionally done. I've seen a bunch of schools set themselves up like the 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 castle with the moat around it and you can only get in if we lower the drawbridge and there's they're disconnected from the surrounding community. Matter of fact, yeah. if you come in the office, we're going to tell you when you can come, how you can come. And if you don't come the way we are telling you, you're not necessarily a given entree to talk to anybody, to to have your concerns be heard. You have to approach how we say. And yet you find students saying, no, we want greater connection with our community, greater connection with our people, greater connection with what we have going on. And and it just seems like we're moving in two opposite directions.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm looking at, you know, so I... I serve on a school board in my town and I'm also uh, a school leader um, in a neighboring town. And as I look from both of those perspectives, I think, you know, I would love as a school board member to see more parents involved in the everyday decisions. But I also think that our schools are antiquated in how we get that information out and how we equip families to hold us accountable because we're not doing that. Like, that's the part that we're not doing. We're, we'll say we want you. it can be
1: done, though. It, I, yes. I, when I was a district Please. administrator, that's why it was so impactful, because um, I went to Harvard and studied under Dr. Karen Mapp to really okay. learn the art of family. It's the art to this. There's an the art to family and community engagement. And I'm going to be real honest, because this is you know, a powerful place to be able to say this, especially for the audience of people who are are listening and following you. There are ways to effectively do this, and parent engagement is one of the areas where the system, society knows that it takes a village to raise a child, but if the village is not in place, then we know that the engagement won't really impact the academic and overall development of a student going through the school system. Yeah. Family engagement changes the dynamic of how students are being successful in school, and it starts at every stage. We need family engagement in elementary, middle, and high school, especially in high school when we're losing. That's where we, we lose them in high yeah. school because it is the automatic assumption. I, I hear it. All the time. Over the years, I've heard it, especially in high school. Okay, parents, thank you, but they're in high school now. They don't need you. You don't have to do. And I feel like that is such a damning way of saying we're closing the door, and then you're going to distrust us to do what Absolutely. we're supposed to do. And here's the reality. You know, every educator ain't like the two brothers is having this conversation. Every teacher don't come through the door like us. So we make the assumption that, oh, because I have one good teacher, and because you look like me, that you're intentional about my success and that is not the truth so i need us to wake up and say i got to hold everybody accountable because we do it in school and then the kids get shuffled into the school to prison pipeline we do it at church and then the kids get molested and they get raped and they swept under the rug we don't say anything because as a culture we have been conditioned to think that oh when you get to this level it's hands off when we get yeah. to this level, it's enough. No, it ain't never enough. You got to always be engaged. And so uh, family engagement is what, has, is what I've seen effectively turn around yep. schools, not just to reimagine education, but also school improvement. Because we don't even yep. really know what school improvement looks like because we're trying to get school districts to improve how our kids perform on high stakes tests which we know the SAT said it. Our test is racially discriminatory. We know it. They said it. In in 2019, right before the pandemic, and then we have, what do we have the next year? School districts in the pandemic voting on millions of dollars to go to SAT virtual learning work so how was that gonna impact our kids when they I almost cause when they when they just told us yes. <laughs> to, to, I was like, Y'all, yes. what are we doing? So I, that that's it, brother. We gotta get these families engaged if we truly want yes. to see these kids succeed.
0: You know, I found in my experience that some families, like to your point, there was an assumption that their job was to just surrender. And Equipping them with the knowledge that actually the power is really in your hand. You show up and be present. You look at like if and I told families like when we when I was helping to organize families in in local communities, like you don't have to be the one person at every meeting. But what if y'all had a group? And divided and conquered, and said, "All right, listen. I'm gonna go to these three. I'm gonna report back my findings. This is what the, the the budget items are. Here are some questions that we need to be asking. What are the funds allocated to special ed programs? Where where is it going? How is it how is it being used? Right. These questions, um, arming families with these questions, so that people know what you're thinking about, know that you're gonna hold them accountable, makes it so much more uh, in our favor." in the sense that you're not the person that's just going to, A, you're the expert. No, no, no. I'm going to hold you accountable to the things that you said you were going to do. I ask families that's all the good. time, do you know your school board members? Like, Do you know who they are? Do you, do you know Do you know what, they, what they're- Don't even get me started on that.
1: You know? Because <laughs> the reality, they're not going to know them if they're not engaged with the community. And, and people will say, oh, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. I know yeah. plenty of people who are on school boards who are really about the business of- making sure that we're doing risk management, that we're physically sound as a school board member, but also that we are communicating with our constituents. And yes, we having a coffee and conversation, but I also know that I may have to have, um, you know, a spaghetti and fruit punch, you know, something to really get people out and meet working families where they are and get them to understand. And and I'm gonna throw this out here. We've had very good school board members here in Atlanta that knew their role and were able to say but i need to make sure that the school district family and community engagement department is at any community um session workshop listening town hall that i as a school board member have because a lot of parents come to these meetings and they're complaining and school board members should be able to redirect to say hey I hear your concern. I do know that the social workers are here. They have a table out front. We have resources for housing. We have resources for transportation. We have resources for this in the area with vendors so that at least I can't per se get in the operations of it because that's what the superintendent does. But as someone who hires a superintendent, I can make sure that they have their people in place. That's a simple step that you can be intentional about doing. So me as a school board member, I'm meeting the constituents where they are, but you as a superintendent and the district can say, hey, we are intentional about making sure that the people that we are employing to do this work are in place so that we can make sure that we're intentional about really solving the issues of families and students. And there are not enough school board members that are driving that type of engagement with their superintendent or their school leaders.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I think about it. Uh, the need is great, right? So in my, in the town in which I live in Jersey, there were at least seven, eight, there was a trend of harassment, intimidation and bullying reports that came back that were, uh, racist in nature. Um, and families like, so I live in a, uh, predominantly, uh, I will say blue collar, um, majority white town. And so these kind of situations were almost swept under the rug. I won't say swept under the rug because I think they cared, but I just don't think they they had the competency to know what to do with it and how to handle it. Right. So they'll, they'll, they'll make the statement, say it's wrong, but what are we doing to prevent, to educate, to hold people accountable to change? Yes. Um, and so I took it upon myself to go to the board meeting. To then follow up and say, superintendent, I want to meet with you. And matter of fact, I want to meet with you on a regular basis. You're going to see my face. You're going to know who I am. I'm going to ask you follow up questions about what we're doing with regard to these situations. And and because I had some uh, some knowledge of, of how schools work, I was able to do that. And I, I would love um, to see more of our people equipped and armed with that type of information to then have that external accountability that is needed to change and help with school improvement efforts, uh, climate, exactly. culture, and all of those things. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, and I um I think these type of conversations are important. It's back to school time. Yeah, um, people are engaged. Everybody is looking. I want to say this too that this is a major school board election year across the nation hmm. for people, mm-hmm. and so. Mm-hmm you know, my students are like, I use the Jetsons and the Flintstones still. I know that's funny, right? But it's it's very good because when you think about STEM and technology, yeah. listen, we were talking about the Flintstones and the Jetsons in, you know, 30, 40 years ago. yeah. And now these were cartoons that were popular, maybe 70s, 80s, and it's like, hey, kids were saying that we'll be flying. We're talking about electric cars now. Yeah. Uh, this My students were talking about flying cars and what will it take for us to get there and so are we having these theme-based conversations in our classrooms and really looking at what is the environmental justice like if the earth does burn up is that how we actually got up in the sky is that what that looks like and so the students have Mm -hmm. conversations around what does it take for us to have even gotten there for somebody to imagine that what kind of science and technology does it require for us to be able to live in that type of environment and yeah. we have to start reimagining how we are presenting things to our young people so they could be um,
0: engaged. Absolutely. Let's say we have an educator that's listening, classroom teacher. Um, They hear us, they agree, they know that they're existing within a system though that may or may not be working towards this. What what tips, keys, things that they need to be thinking through as we start another school year uh, to help with, like we're talking about, these changes that ensure uh, the betterment of Black futures in education, what, what could they be doing even now?
1: I would say study to show yourself approved. Um, I have a book, I actually have a library that actually goes around my office too. Uh, yeah. But two books that I just finished reading um, the third Reconstruction is important because it talks about a, um, America's struggle for racial justice. And it's a good teaching reference because, yes, yeah. there are thousands of books we've had these conversations all over time. Yes, however, um, it's good to be able to reference things and really help the next generation think differently um, yeah. about what they can do. So, educators, I would say, think outside of the box. Um, When my principals would come at me as a teacher and say, we need to be focused on the standards and we need to be focused on the test, um, I would find outside, you know, pieces of literature that I could encompass in my lessons to make sure that civically I'm reaching the minds of my students Um, as innovators. I'm reaching the minds of my students and really helping them um, to think think differently. Another book is... um, the 50-year rebellion about what happened in Detroit, I think that this is important for educators to have as a reference because um, this shows the aftermath of the civil rights movement and how what we're seeing right now in regards to grave poverty and homelessness and um, generational poverty, what does it take for educators to do in order to get this generation out of that. And I think Mm -hmm. that educators now in classrooms cannot be successful without connecting with parents, without connecting to communities. uh, And most importantly, without connecting to community organizations that are helping to continue learning outside of what educators are doing in the
0: schools. I I think those are, are major, right? Educators who are listening, like the, we can't do an like we have to continue to assume a learner stance. And if we get to the point where we feel like we've learned it all, we have it all, uh, and that's when we should quit because we're no longer serving uh, our babies the way that they need to be served. Um, I would add to that list for those listening uh, a book called uh, "Textured Teaching" uh, by Lorena Herman. She talks deeply about how we can inf- infuse. Um, social justice principles and all these things into our learning into our teaching um, and she she's very realistic i think a lot of times we talk about liberation in a vacuum and we forget that this there are systems at play and we have to work within certain confines and so she does that in this book and um and talks about well what what are some practical things that you can do in order to infuse or to build into your curriculum especially as a um, language arts teacher what can you do to help uh, have our curriculum serve as sliding doors, windows, or mirrors. And it's really, really good in that way. So I'd recommend that as well. Awesome. Listen, I wanna um I wanna honor your time and I wanna thank you, brother. I said this uh you know, before we hit record, but thank you for your work. Thank you uh, for what you do. Um I want to uh, round out our time by asking folks you know for, for you to tell folks how they can connect with you connect with your work and then I'd love for you to, to share any final thoughts you have um, as we round out our time
1: okay cool awesome um, if you're on twitter or x whatever this
0: app is called now what um, that thing is. <laughs> <laughs> Professor JBA is how you can look me up on uh, just about any social media uh, platform or hashtag Professor JBA Uh, my website is
1: educationalentities.com and um, there you can check out some of the other organizations that I am working with Um, you can access the podcast that I'm running um, the Educators Voice Blog, the Morning Show, uh, the Foundation Lily's Foundation, this link is connected to that so uh, again it's educationalentities.com and um, I would end our final thoughts by saying it takes a village. Uh, my organizing work with the National Parents Union is really um, critically important to helping parents and families uh, get more wins for students.
0: And I want educators to understand that that includes us advocating for teachers to get paid what they're worth.
1: Um, yes, for us advocating for more counselors and counselors to actually focus on social and emotional development and yes. you know, ways to really
0: educate people around cyberbullying and bullying and what that looks like and how that's
1: not going to be eradicated, but we can begin to change things through social behaviors that we're able to identify and also work with in school. Counselors can't do that when they're focused on high stakes testing. Yep. So we have parents that are advocating for that, uh, really training grassroots organizations on how we can impact policies, budgets, leadership, um, and ultimately helping to drive the movement of reimagining education. So nationalparentsunion.org, uh, check us out. Join our work is free. Um, if you're in the East region, you get the chance to work with a lot of our amazing departments, um, but you also get to work with me. <laughs> So um, I would love for organizations, parents, educators, uh, young people that are interested in partnering with us, um, go to nationalparentsunion.org. Uh, and that's that's it for me, brother.
0: Again, brother, thank you so much. I hope that educators listening will um, tap into your work. Um, there's a ton of resources. What we can't do at the end of any impactful conversation is to act like it didn't happen and act on it right and so i don't want it to be merely a mental exercise i want us as educators to to this to have a psychomotive response where we begin to act act on the things that we have been told and so we have an opportunity in front of us and so community uh let's keep pushing thank you brother thank you brother